Hello and welcome to the Dungeons and Dragons Podcast UK. It's been a while since we last released an episode, so a massive thank you for your patience and support. This first episode is an introduction to our new adventure, The Secrets of the Silver City, featuring two new team members, Ryan and Colin. So in this episode, I hope to outline the setting, storyline and characters of this adventure. If this isn't your cup of tea, our first session will be released next Saturday and all of the information can be found on our website instead. The audio quality for episode one will be slightly different to how it is now as we upgraded our audio equipment after our first session. For our first campaign, The Secrets of the Silver City, we are using 3.5e rules as well as a couple of homebrew twists. The books we're using for this campaign, The Dungeon Master's Guide, The Player's Handbook 1, Spell Compendium, the Arms and Equipment Guide, and the Monster Manuals 1 through 5. In regards to homebrew rules for this campaign, we will be using the Death Saving Throws from 5e, as the system works a lot better for us. And we will also have an alternative healing system, which I will explain when we eventually need it. So, on to the setting. The Secrets of the Silver City is a grim dark fantasy set within the plain of Innistrad, where packs of werewolves roam the hinterlands and vampires rule the night. This campaign takes inspiration from the 5e homebrew adventure Armies of the Damned and the Magic the Gathering Innistrad blocks. With a heavily emphasised gothic theme, join us in exploring this diverse land from the vast ancient woodland of Kessig with its perpetual sea of autumnal hues to the shining silver city of Thraben, and then beyond to the mist-shrouded deltas and marshes of Nefalia. Innistrad is a plain plagued by the undead, vampires, werewolves and other cruel, corrupted beings. The danger posed by the creatures that roam the wilds has forced humanity behind protective walls and into small, vigilant communities. It is in this way that life thrives. In contrast to the grim reality of the plain, the cities are vibrant and bustling. Chatter fills the air in the streets. Merchants call out their wares in the markets. The ringing of metal on metal echoes from smithies and training grounds. And snippets of songs flow from tavern doorways. Humanity flourishes in this adversity. Many academics and scholars believe that Innistrad's nature is influenced by its close proximity to the Shadowfell Plain, and that this planar influence disturbs the dead's rest dims the light of the sun, and creates thick, obscuring fogs and mists that blanket the land and pool in hollows. Innistrad's link to the Shadowfell Plain is presented in the form of its moon. The origins of this planar link have long been forgotten to the sands of time. However, it is clear to all that it was constructed for a sinister purpose. Had it not been for the timely intervention of an ancient deity, Innistrad would have been consumed utterly by the Shadowfell. Even so, with the sacrifice of the deity's life, the portal could not be closed, only sealed away. Astronomers believe that the god's corpse encases the portal, taking the form of a vast desert made from grains of pure silver, and that any extant silver on Innistrad originated from this formation. This cataclysmic event gave birth to the paradoxical nature of Innistrad's moon. It is both a source of hope and a harbinger of woe, serving humanity yet bring to the fore the worst evils within. This barrier of silver protects the plain of Innistrad from being consumed, but does not block Shadowfell's influence entirely. The influence of the Shadowfell on Innistrad and humanity was devastating. Demons were consuming the land with dark miasma. They continued in this path until the creation of the Archangel Avacyn and her faith, the Church of Avacyn. 
In the early days of Avicen's presence in Innistrad, the Archangel sought to rid the plane of its demonic influences. Accompanied by her fellow angels, she challenged each demon she encountered to single combat, defeating and dispatching them one by one. However, since demons are beings composed of pure magic, their defeat only meant that their physical forms were shattered. Eventually, the essence would coalesce in another dark corner of the plane, and another demon would appear. Avacyn soon took note of this cycle. Thus, she took an oath. What cannot be destroyed must be bound. This oath is reflected in Avacyn's symbol, the Collar of Avacyn, shaped to bind any evil that would not be destroyed. With this new goal in mind, Avacyn used her divine magics to trap demons one by one in the Hell Vault. She was so successful in doing this that after a time only the plane's elder demons remained free of the Hell Vault's magical prison. As of the start of this campaign, the Archangel Avacyn has been sealed inside of the Hell Vault. The Lunarch Micaeus and a few of his trusted advisors managed to conceal Avacyn's imprisonment. As the seasons pass, protective wards and shrines are losing their power some failing entirely. The spirits of the dead have begun to linger on the plane more often and are becoming even more violent than before. The dead rise from their graves more frequently and are started to amass. Werewolves and vampire attacks are more common and they have begun to slaughter humans at an ever-increasing pace. Demons and devils are starting to reappear as dark miasma accumulates across the lands. The clergy are doing their best to keep the public from the truth. But as the seasons pass, Avacyn's absence becomes more prominent and the protective magic boasted by her church weakens. Rumours begin to spread amongst the people, causing unrest, but also making the people more vigilant. And that is the basic premise of this campaign. To look into a bit more detail now, we'll take a look at each region individually. Innistrad itself is split into four regions, Gavany, Kessig, Nefalia and Stentia. We'll start off with Gavany. The province of Gavany is where humanity remains safest and strongest. It is home to Thraban, largest city in the known world, which houses the mighty Cathedral of Avacyn, seat of religion in the world, and the place where the great archangel once presided. Smaller towns radiate outwards from Thraban across Gavany's rocky moors. Small copses of trees dot the landscape of rolling hills and heaths. Because more human dead are buried here than anywhere else, Gavany is more plagued by the undead than other provinces, and geists are also more common. The everyday life of a Gavaner varies dramatically according to their class. The wealthy families and clergy live in comfort and safety. Thraban clergy in particular have their every need met by the church. The middle classes, artisans and merchants are also quite comfortable, but the working class and farmers have a much shorter life expectancy. They're at risk from the dark things of the world, and they suffer from sickness and famine also. For example, a Gavana farmer lives an average of 40 years, while a bishop lives closer to 70. In Innistrad, church and state are deeply interdependent. There is virtually no separation of the two. This fact is truest in Gavany, where the Cathedral of Avacyn towers over the land. Local governments rely on the power of the church to keep order and maintain public safety. Often, the rule of law is adjudicated by the prelature, laws and judges ordained by the church. Indeed, all education is handled by the church, although different sects sometimes establish their own schools and training grounds. With the exception of merchants and artisans, all professions are part of the church, although merchants and artisans are governed by fellowships, which must be sanctioned by the church. 
Safety is the main commodity in Innistrad, especially in Gavany. The wealthier you are, the safer you can make yourself. The high walls of Thraben protect the well-to-do who live inside. Title families who live in Gavany have fortified manor houses, while farmers must make do with the wooden walls of their farmhouses. Because of the lack of physical safety, the poor spend a larger portion of their income on enchantments and non-physical means of protection. To the south of the plain lies the province of Kessig, a vast, wooded hinterland in a state of perpetual autumn. The deep woods are king here, although small human communities have carved out farming villages. Groups of hunters and trackers venture into the forest to make a living, but even new arrivals know not to venture out at night. Even if the wilderness were not haunted, it wouldn't be safe. Werewolves prowl the province, sometimes alone and sometimes in packs. For the Kessiger, life is work. Kessigers are farmers, millers, weavers, stonemasons. They are close to the land and must work hard for every meal. This makes them self-reliant, pragmatic and plain-spoken. A Kessiger doesn't purchase tools from the general store, he forges them himself. They do not learn arithmetic or memorise the names of royal families. They learn harvest dates and the shape of edible weeds. They do not quote great works of literature, they call it like they see it, in their own simple words. Kessigers are hard-headed and unpretentious people, and the face-to-face -face realism of the Avacyn religion fits right into their worldview. Kessigers believe in the worked earth below us, the hand-hewn stone walls around us, and the angel above us. However, they don't trust the shiny boots of the big city Cathars, the pristine fingernails of the Gavany ghost hunters, or the out-of-touch degrees handed down from the aristocrats of the high city of Thraben. Superstitions and fear of the supernatural creatures has woven its way into etiquette in Kessig. When you meet someone for the first time, it's polite to show that you are wearing an item made from silver. Wreaths of living wood are commonly given as gifts, and are often placed on the door of a house where a child has just been born, a gesture meant to protect the child's life from vampires. It's customary to eat sour root soup before travelling, or to fast for up to a day before a long trip, habits that are thought to make one less appealing to werewolves and other hungry beasts. To the west of Innistrad lies the province of Nefalia. The coastal province of Nefalia is home to a number of small to medium port towns, mostly situated at the mouth of a river that leads further inland. Nefalia's sloughs, sea mists and mysteries cloak its commerce and crimes. It is populated mainly by humans, geists and vampires, all of whom seek business, secrets or solitude. The province's silver sand beaches, punctuated with rocky promontories and sea caves, afford easiest access to its fog-shrouded ocean. Nefalians are craft workers, shipbuilders, smiths and traders. The province is defined by water, by its access to the ocean, by its many rivers that lead deep inland, and by its deltas, marshes and lakes. Water enables commerce here, but also gives Nefalia a silvery, mystical character. The clouds and the moon seem to be both above and below in most places. Nefalians are wary of the priesthood, watching them closely. Their tightly packed cities survive just as much on coin as they do by the light of Avacyn. As long as the church continues to bring trade to and from Thraben, they are welcome within the cities of Nefalia. Complex dealings between Metzalar merchants, the stormcloaked nobles and the church bolster the upper class within the cities of Nefalia, keeping a reliable stock of jobs available for the working class. The brimming population and relative distance for the church has also made Nefalia the ideal environment for crime and political intrigue. Innistrad's fourth and final province, Stentia, lies in the west. 
Vampires control the province of Stentia, which covers the darkest and most mountainous part of the plain. The evergreen forests here seem to always be half dead, and the roads always misty and deserted. Jagged hills hide isolated, wary human villages and vampire manors from each other. At the province's edges, the full-on pines give way to high cliffs above which no human dares venture. In Stentia, the sun never seems to break through the strangely coloured clouds. Travelling to and from Stentia is treacherous, both because of the terrain and the nightmares that stalk outside civilization. Stentians are a tight-knit people, unaccustomed to outsiders. They are fiercely proud of their traditions and are often seen as out of touch with the times. Once accepted by Stentians, however, they are some of the most generous and friendly people in Innistrad. Stentia's people are not an expressive or demonstrative bunch. Countless generations of hardship and proximity to the vampire strongholds, lost children, lost neighbours, have taught Stentians to guard their hearts. They are proud and fervent in their beliefs, but seem brusque or even cold to humans from other provinces. Humans have adapted as best they can to life surrounded by vampires. Almost every Stentian village is surrounded by a shallow moat, because while the moon is out, the moat will keep vampires from trespassing. In small villages, Stentian cottages are usually arranged around a small grove of hawthorn trees for centralised access to living wood. In larger villages, the cottages themselves are often built around a hawthorn, with the tree's trunk in the centre of the common room. Caring for the cottage tree is the oldest child's responsibility. Lastly, almost every Stentian cottage features a mirror on the outside of the front door to dissuade vampires from approaching. Okay. So I hope that gives you a brief overview as to the storyline, the setting of the plane, and a bit more in depth to what each region entails. So for my players, they've built their characters while paying attention to each characteristic of each province. So hopefully what they'll do is they'll weave in the uh, traditions, etiquette and history of each province into their own profile, their backstory and their character. So moving on, I will introduce you to the hook of this story. Following the conclusion of the fan-made 5th edition adventure Armies of the Damned, the Church of Avicen has come into possession of several important items that may be key in the Archangel Avicen's release from the Hellvault. Siegfried's alchemical notes, Katarina Brunn's journal and the Stryonic Resonator. Without Katarina Brunn herself, the Church of Avicen has no way of deciphering the journal or notes, both being written entirely in personal codes, and as such has no guidance on how to use the Stryonic Resonator. Wary of the Skursdag cultists who have pervaded every part of society, including the church, the reigning Lunarch, Machaeus, entrusted both the journal and the notes to a promising new paladin, Kewin. Machaeus instructed Kewin to conceal his connections to the church, find a group of trustworthy, talented people, and decode the texts. So far, Kewin has enlisted the help of his old friend Ogvar, and with the guidance from his elder brother Casper, is in pursuit of Allura Greyvale, a sorcerer and Casper's trusted employee. So, here I've mentioned several characters. Ogvar, Kewin, and Allura. Kewin, the paladin, is played by Colin. Kewin is 24 years of age and hails from the region of Gavany. He is the youngest of four sons to Lord Delgar and Lady Angelette de Greymont. After his coming of age, he was sent to be an acolyte for the church. Although dedicated to prayer and meditation, 
it also became apparent that he had a natural aptitude for combat, and as such he was soon called upon by the Church of Avicen to uphold all that was right and just. This did not wholly please his parents, as if anything tragic were to happen to his old brothers, his family would no longer be able to call him back to the fold to fulfil his familial duties. However, Kewin, being both the youngest and now a paladin, did bring some benefits to the family de Greymont. His eldest brother, Delgar, traditionally named after his father, was set to inherit all of the family wealth and estates. The second eldest son, Thorben, remained within the family residence. He was second in line to inherit, and as such had been schooled in all matters related to the running, maintenance and etiquette of the family empire, by way of insurance should his elder brother, Dalgar, suffer a sudden unexpected demise. Kewin was far closer to Casper, the third son, whose occupation was that of a merchant, running shipments from Thraben down the Silberland River and out to the province of Nefalia. His profession enabled him to gain an understanding of procurement, government of peoples and finance granting him the practical skills essential to manage the estate should something happen to either or both of his older siblings in such perilous times. After having met Ogvar as he guided some village elders on a pilgrimage to Thraben, Kewin stayed in contact and had found him to be a solid, knowledgeable person, proficient in tracking and woodland law. They had stayed in touch ever since, and he had called upon Ogvar on more than one occasion when seeking such expertise. Kewin now finds himself on a most holy quest. Where it may lead, he cannot say, but once again he finds himself turning to Ogvar, with his vast knowledge of the wilds, for help. Knowing full well that a party of two would not be enough to overcome the trials that they would surely face, he sought guidance, and found himself motivated to consult with Casper concerning the task at hand. Casper directed Kewin to Elora Greyvale, a sorcerer in his employ who often protected valuable cargo Kewin and Ogvar are now travelling by fast boat to intercept Aurora, following Casper's information as to where she could be found. Having never met her, they are on the lookout for a female wearing a snakeskin hat with corks dangling from it. Neither Kewin nor Ogvar know where things will lead, nor what the future may hold, but Kewin in particular feels that he is ready to embark on this important quest, more so now than at any point in his life so far. Ogvar, the ranger, played by Ryan. Ogvar is 43 years of age and hails from the region of Kessig. He is the son and only child to Yogvar and Breen Shurfoot, a name that originates from the family profession of stonemasonry. Yogvar and Breen still reside in the village where Ogvar was raised. He grew up learning his father's trade, but never truly embraced it. As a boy, he was far more entertained by the antics of the village livestock and driven to distraction upon wondering what the dark wood beyond the village perimeter held amongst its mighty trunks and shadowy canopies. These flights of fancy remained elusive as the years passed, his elders constantly warning him of the dangers that lay within. As his adult years approached, his lust for adventure in the wilds made him a favourite choice for the task of scouting and the retrieval of livestock that had wandered past the confines of the village. It was during one of these roundup excursions that he happened to cross paths with an elderly ranger. The ranger was quick to point out to Ogvar his lack of tracking skills within the wooded hinterlands. He said, You may as well be beating a drum while you walk. Those goats have long since fled away. This is where Ogvar's ranger training began. Over the coming years, he worked with the elderly ranger, honing his trade and perfecting his skills. With his sound knowledge of the wilds and keenly sharpened senses, he was called upon to escort the village priest to Thraben for a pilgrimage of offering to Avacyn. 
After successfully returning from Thraben, Ogvar was often tasked with escorting others on their pilgrimages. It was on one of these escort jobs where he first crossed paths with a paladin named Kewin. Over the years, the two remained in contact and sometimes travelled together through Kessig and Gavany. As our adventure begins, Ogvar finds himself in the company of Kewin once more as they travel downriver by fastboat on their way to locate a sorcerer named Elora Greymail. Elora, the sorcerer, played by Samantha. Elora is 34 years of age and hails from the region of Nefalia, born to parents Reuben and Yana Greyvale, who are master milliners. Reuben descended from a long line of milliners, Yana the daughter of simple farming folk. They manufactured and were purveyors of exquisite headwear to bigger companies who were based in the capital of Thraben. Their goods were shipped from Havengirl to Thraben using the river trade routes. Elora grew up to the east of Havengirl in a lovely little cottage with a flowered garden which, due to her parents' hard work, afforded the family a relatively comfortable and mostly debt-free existence. She is the youngest of three, having two older brothers, Arlen and Ranon Greyvale, who still live at home and support their mother and father in retirement. She attended school and was educated quite well, but spent much of her free time running amok with her rough, tough and tumble brothers, in and out of minor mischief, especially when she began to discover her innate abilities for spellcasting. By the age of 20, her parents' business connections landed her a job working for a wealthy trade merchant by the name of Caspar de Greymont, who ran multiple ships carrying trade cargo throughout Gavin and Nefalia. Elora had long since learned to harness her arcane talents and took up the position de Greymont offered of escort for both the goods and the men running his trade routes to ensure them safer passage. It was during the period that followed that she mastered cartography as a profession. She has one single prized possession that is always located about her person, a hat that was made by her father. It was a long-standing family tradition that when a child leaves home, they are presented with a fine piece of headwear to take with them on their journey. Elora sports a dark brown snakeskin bushman's hat with 12 short flexible strings with hooks at the bottom, hanging from the shapely brim spaced evenly around the entire circumference. Attached to the bottom of each string is a simple black cork. As our quest begins, Elora is on a private errand for Casper that will earn her a little extra gold. At his request, she must deliver a package to the Cracked Acorn, an inn located in the village of Gloomrest. And that concludes your introduction to the characters. All of this information can be found on our website. I'll pop the link in the bio down below. Make sure to go over there, check us out, see what's going on. There's lots of information, plenty of maps on there, so you can take a closer look at the provinces and the general map itself. We've got pictures of our characters, which we've produced using Hero Forge Character Customizer. I hope this gives you a good overview and a great introduction to our world and our characters. I'm really excited to get going, really excited to have that first episode out there. So that first episode will be, will be released, I promise you this, it will be released on Saturday the 24th of July 2021. Thank you for listening to this first episode. Make sure you hit the subscribe button, whether you're on Spotify, Amazon, whatever it is, hit subscribe, hit like, follow us. And we hope you join us next week for our first episode. So from all of us here at the Dungeons and Dragons Podcast UK, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.